0: Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice, a loud voice, from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. An 85-year-old couple had been married almost 60 years. They were both in great health for, for a couple of their age, mainly due to the wife's insistence that they both only eat healthy food and exercised every single day. Tragically though, they died together in an automobile accident. When they reached the pearly gates, St. Peter took them to their mansion, which included a beautiful kitchen and a wide open living room that led onto a screened porch that overlooked an impeccably landscaped yard. The master suite had a huge bathroom with a jacuzzi tub and a large walk-in closet. They oohed and awed for a while until the husband got up enough nerve to ask how much all this was going to cost. (laughs) Oh, it's free, Peter said. This is heaven. Next, they went out back to see the championship golf course. The home was built with a perfect view of the 18th green. St. Peter explained that they would have golfing privileges every day and that each week, the course changed to a new one Representing the great golf courses on earth. The old man, astonished, said, Wow, what are the green fees? Peter quickly responded, No, 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 no. This is heaven. You get to play for free. Next, they went to the clubhouse and saw the lavish buffet set out for lunch. It featured all the cuisines of the world. How much does it cost to eat? asked the old man. Don't you understand yet? Peter said, This is heaven. It's all free. Okay, then where's all the healthy stuff, the husband asked. You know, the fat-free, low-carb, high-fiber. That's the best part, Peter said. You can eat as much as you'd like of whatever you like, and you never get fat, and you never get sick. This is heaven. The old man glared at his wife and said, you and your kale salads. I could have been here 10 years ago. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Do you know that song? My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The Reverend Dr. Roland Perdue was from Texas and was the interim pastor at the church where I worked during my seminary internship. And Roland loved this old song. He loved it so much that I remember having to sing it in worship that last Sunday of his interim position before the new pastor began. And as you can imagine, singing it was a bit of a challenge since it was written for a bluegrass band and not a pipe organ, but we made do. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's the dream, isn't it? Heaven as a new beginning, a fresh start where we get to shed all the stuff of this life and take on new life, problem-free and worry-free. Someplace beyond the blue, over the rainbow in a land far, far away. The book of Revelation, of course, is where we get these images. Right here in chapter 21, the 12 gates are 12 pearls, John says. And the streets of heaven, of that city, are pure gold and transparent as glass. That's what the text says. But then we've added details of our own with harps and clouds and choirs and so on. There's a lot we don't understand about the book of Revelation. But one thing we're pretty sure about is that this book is written as a letter and was likely penned during the reign of the Roman emperor, Domitian. Domitian lived at the end of the first century, and he earned his place in history by carrying out the most widespread persecution of the Christian church in human history. In Domitian's empire, being a Christian was not just unpopular, but it was often fatal. And so, to avoid detection, These letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation employ a kind of code language that would encourage the earthly Christians without outing them. It's a kind of writing that we call apocalyptic literature. One scholar likens it to a cross between the satire of Trevor Noah's Daily Show and a Stephen King novel. But John is not encouraging his listeners to just hang on until they finally get their ticket punched to go to heaven. According to Revelation, heaven is not off in the sweet by and by somewhere. Instead, John says, I saw the holy city coming down down out of heaven from God. See, the home of God is among mortals. Revelation tells us God moves in here with us as an eternal earthly roommate. In other words, the Bible says that we don't go to heaven, heaven comes to us. And I think that's worth, that bears repeating. We don't go to heaven, heaven comes to us. In the late nineties, I was leading music for vacation Bible school at my home church during one of my summers when I was in college. The first night, I showed up with my guitar and asked a group of kindergartners if they'd like to sing. Jeff, my favorite little redhead, could hardly contain himself. Oh, 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 he said, I know a song about heaven. I was about to ask him about that song when I saw his mom right behind him looking panicked and shaking her head from side to side as if to say, please do not call on him. It took every ounce of maturity that I had in me to not ask Jeff about that song, but I was able to do that. His mom told me later that the song he wanted to sing was, You Make Heaven a Place on Earth. And she, nor I for that matter, were prepared to explain to all the other parents what her five-year-old son was doing listening to Belinda Carlisle. If you know the rest of those lyrics, you know that that song was not exactly written as a retelling of Revelation 21. But the title, I think, is spot on. You make heaven a place on earth. I saw the holy city coming down from heaven, from God. The Acts passage that Jim just read for us describes a similar scene, a sheet full of a weird mix of animals being lowered from heaven to earth. A voice says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter knows that the food is not kosher and he doesn't want to offend his Jewish hosts. But the voice speaks again and says, What God has made clean, you must not call unclean. Somewhere in our history, We humans came up with this crazy idea about the world that everything here on earth is bad and sinful and has to be avoided. And what we really want is to get to heaven where everything is good and clean and perfect and there are no greens feeds and kale salads. If you read the late great planet Earth, you remember that Hal Lindsey says that in Revelation... The earth is completely destroyed and a new earth is built. That there is no continuity between the old and the new. But there's no biblical precedent for that. There's no biblical support for the idea that this world is not our home. That we're going to escape all of this one day. Instead, all of this all of this world, all of this creation, all of us get redeemed. John says that heaven is coming to earth, not just as a replacement, but as a renewing, a reworking, a reforming. The new creation is a transformation of the original creation. I listened to a sermon once about this passage, and the preacher made a point that I will never forget she said that God doesn't say I'm making all new things as if the old things need to be tossed out so God can start all over again. God doesn't say I'm making all new things. God says I'm making all things new. That's the work of redemption. And that's what God invites us to be a part of. Our work, our ministry together as a congregation is part of God's redemptive work in the world. Redeeming the lives of neighbors in our community who wonder where their next meal is going to come from. Redeeming the lives of spouses or partners or parents or children who are learning to adjust to an empty seat at the dinner table. Redeeming the lives of people who've been told that their only worth is the size of their bank accounts or the number of likes they get on Instagram. Redeeming the lives of teenagers who've been told that they just don't fit. Redeeming the life of this planet that God has given us to love and protect. Nicholas Wolterstroth, who taught for years at Calvin College in Grand Rapids, talks about world transformative dimensions of reformed theology. The idea that instead of turning away from the social order or separating ourselves from the world to seek closer union with God, John Calvin said that we work to reform the social order in in obedience to God. Restless, disciplined reformism, he called it. We are always working alongside God to reform and redeem this world that God so loves. That's about the best definition of discipleship that I've ever heard. Participating in God's redeeming work in the world that longs to be made new. And that doesn't happen all at once, in the blink of an eye, suddenly. At the risk of beginning to sound like a grammar geek, let me point out to you once again that the words matter. I am making all things new. Present, active, indicative, first person singular verb. In Greek, it signifies current, ongoing, continuous action. I am making all things new. Not I have made or I will make, but I am making. It's a process, not all once and for all accomplished fact or even a dream for the future. Right here, right now, I am making all things new. So on those days when you wake up and feel stuck, on the days when you wish that Jesus would come back and we could be done with all this, hang on to that promise. I am making all things new. We live between now and not yet. Not what we have been, but not yet what, by God's grace, we are becoming. One of my favorite stories from Anne Lamott is when she says she learned this lesson. My older brother was 10 years old. She writes, and was trying to get a report on birds written that he had had 3 months to write it was due the next day we were out at our family cabin and he was at the kitchen table close to tears surrounded by binder paper and pencils and unopened books on birds immobilized by the hugeness of the task ahead of him then my father sat down beside him put his arm around my brother's shoulder and said bird by bird buddy bird by bird bird by bird, bit by bit, little by little. That's how we change and how we are made new. Not in one grand, sweeping, spectacular, life-changing moment, but in single acts of faithfulness and love, one at a time, one note after another, one voice and then another and then another until the whole chorus learns the tune bit by bit we become more like Jesus Christ. A pastor friend of mine was teaching a class on spiritual formation at her church. Several weeks after they had already started, a member showed up at the door wondering if it was all right for her to join the class. Of course, my friend said, why would you, why would you even ask? The woman said, well, I'm 94 years old. I just wondered if it were too late for me. God is not in the business of making all new things. God is making all things new. And it's never, ever too late. Amen.